When did women's gymnastics become popular? How did American culture and societal pressures impact this sport? And what does the intersectionality of race and gender in gymnastics even look like? From the rise of female athletics in the 20th century to the microscope placed upon female athletes of color, today's guests, including our first ever male guest on the podcast, provide enlightening perspectives regarding the history of gymnastics and women in sports. Hi, welcome to this episode of Benched. This is your host, Jules Makia, and I'm so excited to announce our two guests for today, UNC gymnast Emery Summy and Professor Dr. Matt Andrews. Both of you could give a introduction of yourself. I don't think I could do it justice for either of you. So um, Emery, if you want to start. Uh, yeah, my name's Emery. I'm a junior. I'm majoring in media and journalism, and I'm on the gymnastics team. I compete vault, bars, and beam. And uh, I'm Matt Andrews. I cannot do the vault, the bars, or the beam. Um, No way, no how. I'm a professor here in the Department of History. I'm an American historian, but I teach courses on the intersection of American history, sports, and politics. Yeah, so I came across Dr. Andrews from taking his course last semester, and that's how I got the idea for today's podcast, was actually the course last semester. Um, was Olympic Games, and there was a lecture on basically gymnastics and figure skating and kind of the um, themes of American history that were tied into it. So I had this idea. Um, But before we get started, I would love if Dr. Andrews wanted to give a quick background about the general attitudes behind female athletes in American history. Um, I think that'll kind of give us a great start. Yeah, sure, Jules. And I think the story of how... um... Americans specifically, but people around the world a little more generally think about gymnasts and, and figure skaters falls into this. I, I'm going to paint in real broad strokes just for a, for a second here. But, you know, generally speaking, throughout American history, for, through the first few centuries of American history, sports were not things that women did. They, they weren't allowed to do these things. These opportunities did not exist for them. Sports were for men. Uh, sports were places where men developed uh, leadership traits and uh, character traits that were that were valued in in men and these weren't necessarily the the traits that society valued in in women and when women tried to play sports they were told that they couldn't participate in sports when women started participating in sports really in the at the start of the 20th century there was a, a reaction among men and there were a lot of concerns and I said men I should say men and women both male physical educators and female physical educators they had concerns about women participating in sports and generally speaking they had two concerns one concern was that female bodies just weren't up to the challenge, that they just could not do what male bodies could. They couldn't run 26 miles. They couldn't do the, the rings and gym, gymnastics. They just couldn't do things that, that male bodies could. And there was a concern that female bodies would be, would be damaged. But the other concern, and it's, it's related to this, is a concern that the female body would become unsexed. You know, it would become less female. It would become less feminine. And some of these concerns, you know, are just this weird science stuff that we look at now. There are ideas that if a woman exerted herself too much, 
that she would lose her reproductive abilities. You know, if a woman ran too far, her uterus would literally slip out of her body. I mean, these were actual ideas being being offered up by by scientists, by by by, by leading experts at the start of the 20th century. But over the course of the 20th century, when I explore women's sports, I, I do see these anxieties, maybe not to that same degree, they remain. And there are these anxieties that if girls and women participate in sports, they'll become too muscular, they'll become too aggressive, that their bodies will become a little too unfemale. And look, if we accept the idea that muscles and strength uh, are, are masculine traits, well, yeah, then sports do make girls and women masculine, but we don't need to accept that dichotomy, right? We can proceed that the muscles and strength, these are human traits, but that's the sort of dichotomous gendered way of, of, of thinking about it. So one of the, the, the long lasting concerns about female athletes throughout American history, again, has been that sports are, will make girls and women unfeminine. And then because of this, and this is something I'd like to talk about in just a minute, uh, female athletes perhaps have felt compelled to feminize themselves while participating in sports, to assure the public, yes, we're going to be athletes, but don't worry, we're still going to be feminine, we're still going to be women as well. Yeah, um, I still will never forget sitting in your class last semester. This was when we were still actually in class Um, and the good old days. Yeah. You said the same quote about like, they were literally scared that a woman's uterus would fall out. I remember just straight up cackling, just like how, like who, why, like why? But then the more and more we dove into the course, I was just like, wait, like, yeah, they made these absurd comments back then, but you still see things happening in sports even today that are on the same level of absurdity that that was. It's just some of the things that stuck out to me the most in your course were within each feminist movement, kind of the backlash you saw within sports, um, specifically women's sports. And this directly ties in today with our topic about figure skating and gymnastics, but we're going to specifically focus on gymnastics because we're lucky to have Emery here. Um, And if you want to give us a background of kind of when gymnastics got popular and why. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and Jules, to go back to one of the questions you were asking, who would say such a thing? You know, it, once again, the, the, the person that I quote in my class is this leading Harvard physical educator named, named Dudley Sargent. I mean, this is not it, it's weird science from our perspective today, but these were the ideas being espoused by by the experts 100 years ago. You know, you, um, Jules and, and Emery live in a very different environment with regards to attitudes towards female athletes. And so you asked about gymnastics, and, and that's what I'm particularly interested in that, in that lecture that I do in our, in our course. There is, without a doubt, a rise in interest in the United States uh, in gymnastics and, and figure skating. Uh, so in the late 1960s and, and the early 1970s, especially. And part of the massive growth and popularity for gymnastics, I think, was definitely television. You know, close-ups and slow motion, uh, TV audiences, they were given access to the sport as never before. You know, you, you watch gymnastics now, and sometimes I, the, the, the bodies are so remarkable, you actually have no idea what they're doing. But when it's slowed down and you can see it, you realize, my gosh, look at the degree of difficulty there. Um, so... These sports increase in popularity in the 60s and the 70s. Um, 
But there's another theory for our consideration. And this is one that I don't necessarily accept, but one that I find in, intriguing. And it's offered by scholars like, like Susan Kahn, who is a, a feminist scholar who writes about women's sports. And she suggests that the surge in popularity of women gymnastics might be related to the feminist movement. It might be a response to the feminist movement. And so one way of thinking about this is to say that the rise in popularity of, women, of women's gymnastics, it was part of the larger women's athletic revolution of, of this era. You know, a women's athletic revolution that was part of the modern feminist movement. As all women's sports were gaining in popularity, women's gymnastics kind of rose with that rising tide. But she points out that interest in gymnastics and figure skating just surged at a rate that we didn't see with like say basketball and, and, and track and field. And so she suggests that the rising popularity of women's gymnastics might've been a reaction against feminism. And so as this theory goes, you know, the Americans and the Europeans who were increasingly drawn, she says they were increasingly drawn to, to sports in which female athletes were, were feminine. They were smaller, they were girlish, they wore pigtails, they had ribbons in their hairs, uh, in their hair. And she suggests they did this because of their anxieties over women demanding access to power outside of the world of sports. So they, 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 they clung to these athletes as a reaction against the feminist movement. Now she's very clear and I wanna be very clear. Were these female gymnasts immensely athletic? Yes, without a doubt, unbelievably so. That's not even de debatable. But gymnastics was a sport that was becoming draped in what she and others have called little girl femininity, where the athletes, particularly back then in the 60s and the 70s, they had smaller bodies. Again, they wore pigtails and they had ribbons. And so these female athletes better conformed to the vision of womanhood, perhaps, that people who were uneasy with the feminist movement were, were uh, holding on to. Again, this is, you know, as women were gaining power and were becoming more powerful in public life, including in the world of sports, she raises the question, is it a coincidence that people were grasping um, onto these athletes who had smaller, slimmer, girlish bodies and appearances? Yeah, I remember it took me kind of a while to grasp that theory and like kind of think about it. But I would love to hear Emery's thoughts on like the past and how things are kind of similar today or different or, or what you think about those theories. Well, I think Europe was a lot better at gymnastics than America was back in like the 60s and 70s. And the gymnast who really like wowed everybody was Nadia Comaneci and so when like Americans saw how young and small she was I think that's when we got the idea that being young and small makes you better at gymnastics and it still actually is kind of the same if you want to go to the Olympics you start at a very young age and you pretty much I would like phrase as like you give up your whole life because that's what you want to do so you train twice a day for more than half of the hours in a day um I know like the old national team coaches who were under a lot of like scrutiny with uh, Larry Nasser, um, Marta and Bella Caroli, the um, the ranch 
that they held the national team practices that was under very harsh conditions like the there were like no cell phones no certain food snacks like people would like sneak snacks into like where they stayed at night um and I think like even now a lot of college gymnasts like club gymnasts they're very very small and I think because gymnastics also like stunts your growth the amount of like pounding that like the sport requires like when you tumble it definitely messes up your body a little bit but yeah I think that still is really prevalent how when you're younger and smaller you are seen to be better at gymnastics well and I'll just jump in there too yeah I mean uh, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the Corollis Emery because right they were Nadia's coaches in Ro- Romania, you know, which is one of the reasons why they were able to get here for the U.S. And Jules, you know this in my class that I, I go back four years earlier. So you're talking about Komenich in 1976. I like to talk about Olga Corbett, the, the Soviet gymnast in, in 1972, who's um, even smaller than 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 Komenich was. And I mean, she literally had her her, her pigtails and what she is the star of the 1972 Olympics. And she's a star for, for two reasons. She's a star because she's unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the Corbett backflip that, that she does from the top, top of the bars, I believe is not, not allowed anymore because it's so, so dangerous. But she did it perfectly, obviously. Um, but she was also beloved because... She she failed in this one routine on the um, uneven bars, and she started crying. She started sobbing, and people loved it. And this this notion of why were people drawn to this? You know, why were they drawn to to Corbett in this per, particular moment? I think it fits with uh, Susan Kahn's idea here. Here is not a tough powerful woman. Here is a vulnerable child, really, a vulnerable girl. And, you know, to go back to that theory, perhaps some people found that comforting. They 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 found it reassuring. I'm with you, Emery. I, I mean, bodies have changed so much in gymnastics and, and figure skating. And, and thankfully, I think, you know, the idea that you don't have to be like Kathy Rigby, the American gymnast who was 75 pounds and just basically almost starved herself to death. She went into cardiac arrest a couple of times. Those ideas from the outside, from where I'm, you know, viewing, seem to be changing. Yeah, I had a question, Emery, for you and even Dr. Andrews. I'm not totally aware of the one, the history of what's involved in in the like um, scoring of gymnastics because I know we talked about in figure skating, Dr. Andrews, that there are actual beauty components that you're judged on. Um, And then Emery, I wanted to know if there's like what beauty components are still a part of gymnastics today and really do affect kind of your scoring or even just how you're publicized or or viewed by the public. Yeah, um, so club versus college is a little bit different, but specifically in college, we are not only judged on how well you can do a skill, but it's also how pretty you look doing it. So you can actually get like a deduction on 
I think it, it's not necessarily, it's like gracefulness. You can get a deduction on not being graceful enough, um, which is interesting to me because I'm not a super graceful gymnast. I'm more of like a like power kind of person. There's a website actually that ranks, not our gymnastics, it ranks all of the colleges with gymnastics. It ranks their uh, leotards, which is what we wear. It ranks how pretty they are, how like how much it costs, how many sparkles it has, and it like people will vote on them, and it's that is so crazy to me. Well, and then I I can talk a little more about figure skating. I mean that that's that's where the rules are even more explicit. Um, uh, it's uh, well, first of all, I I think the uh, language is is telling. It's it's men's figure skating and it's ladies' figure skating. It's not men and women. It's men and ladies. So there's this idea of gendered de- decorum. I don't believe they say that in gymnastics, right, Emery? It's women's gymnastics and not ladies' gym gymnastics. Yeah. Uh, in in figure skating, the the costumes are part of the scoring. Um, costumes and makeup. Uh, and so it's really more explicit, much more explicit and sort of worked into the code and the scoring of figure skating. It sounds to me like what I'm hearing from Emery is that this, these ideas are a little more implicit in gymnastics. Yeah, I would say judging is very objective and actually something that like we used to get told in club is like if there was ever like a male judge on like floor we like our coaches would tell us to like basically try to seduce them like like wink at them or like give them a smile or something and it was just that was so creepy to me but that's cringy but yeah that was one thing I was just like that's so weird and was that uncomfortable for you because I'm assuming when you were a club gymnast you were for the most part, underage until you were 18. So, you know, was that how, what was that like? Yeah. Uncomfortable, I'm guessing? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I would, uncomfortable is a good word. I didn't like when male judges would be judging us on floor, but that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if that's what your coaches kind of recommended that you quote unquote seduce them, I would probably not like that either and not, not want male judges if that's, the kind of pressure that was put on me, I I couldn't imagine. I mean, as an athlete, I've always just, it's been about performing and never about seducing. So I can't imagine that. Yeah, that's just a lot. Well, I was, um, when Emery said that about seduction and geez, that's so, um, so problematic in light of, you know, what has been revealed about gymnastics culture in the la- and not just gymnastics culture, really all youth sports culture. I mean, boys hockey in Canada has some of these same exploitation problems. I think in, in figure skating, it's not to excuse it, it's just to say that that's the way, way it was. In, in figure skating, this, this moment that I like to talk about is when Katarina Witt, who's an East German figure skater in, in the 1988 games, she goes into her final skate and she skates as 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 Carmen, uh, and Carmen is a um, well, we don't say this word much anymore, but she's a gypsy seductress, and she was seducing the the male judges. She was smiling at them, and she was winking at them, and she was rolling her eyes at them, and she was beckoning. You know, uh, there were critics who said it was sex on ice, 
And I'm here to tell you that it worked. It was very effective and the judges loved it and they gave her the gold medal. Um, and I can't think certainly of any sports in which male athletes are asked to seduce the judges or the referees in a way that society asks female athletes to to do. Yeah. Dr. Andrews, what is the move that that athlete did? I remember this was, we talked about this. It's called the layback spin. Um, and it's a spin. We, we, we see it all the time. We actually don't see men do it because men don't do it. Women are required to do it where, where the, the, the head is thrust back and the eyes are closed and they spin. And there's a, a, a this really interesting feminist theorist named Naomi Wolf who talks about beauty culture. And she actually suggests that this is a, a sexual pose, that it is a, a female athlete mimicking sexual arousal uh, in her competition, in her per performance. You know, and I do think it's interesting that women are required to do this this move in, in figure skating and, and men almost never do. Yeah, see, that's what really caught me in your class was you were like, women are required to do this, but men aren't they can if they want but they're not required which i think was just really really interesting um and and didn't in the carmen routine didn't she do that move because i remember we had to watch it am, am i thinking of that correctly oh no she she definitely did it because she is required to to do it every female skater is required to do that that move oh yeah 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 but Emery, are there any differences? I don't know if they're as explicit as figure skating, but any differences like along those lines that you can think of between men and women's gymnastics? Men's gymnastics, they have a few more events than us. Um, they're not required to do the balance beam. <laughs> um, they do, instead they do like rings, pommel horse instead of like uneven bars they only have one high bar and then they also do uh vault and floor but yeah they're not required to do beam i feel like it would not go very well for them either this is slightly off topic but can i ask you emery i i've always heard that men can't do the beam that that the male maybe this is a total myth so i'm glad i'm, I'm talking to an expert here i've always been told that the male center of gravity which is higher than the female center of, of, of gravity, more in the chest rather than in the hips, makes it almost impossible for men to do the moves that women do on the, on, on the beam. Do you have any insight into that? Yeah, so I have some friends um, that did men's gymnastics and like in, sometimes when we were like in like club practice, they would like joke around and try to do beam. And I think the most I've ever seen like a guy doing it is like a back tuck, but I feel like it's cause you're in like a ball. You don't have to like balance really, but they struggle to like even walk across the beam like <laughs> right. straight. So you're probably not wrong. Interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that um, or I didn't even think about that. So that's an interesting. <laughs> Question, Dr. Andrews. Well, th there are a lot of sports that women, it, if we allowed these competitions to, to happen, you know, imagine if we decided as a society, and I'm sorry, Jules, if, if we're getting too off topic here, but if, if we imagined as a society that we were going to decide once and for all who are the better athletes, men or women, 
And we said, let's put them on, on the beam and let's find out. Um, but we don't do that because we know who would, who would win. The female athlete would, would, would win. And people who are in charge of sports, they don't want to see that. And it's actually things like, like long-distance swimming, too. Women are just better at long-distance swimming um, than, than men are. And I'm talking like sort of great distances. But we don't have those types of competitions. One reason is because how do you watch long-distance swimming, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like a very interesting or exciting sport. But another possible answer is that because these are sports in which women would outperform men, and that's not something that people have wanted to see for, for centuries and centuries. Yeah, I think another important factor, too, and something I learned from your class was about, like, how sports have been designed around men and adapted to women. And that's something I've talked about in other podcasts too. Um, When Sam Moore was on, she was talking about training and how it was developed for men and somewhat adapted towards women. But it's like, what sports did we really have from the start that were for women, designed by women and made for women? And instead it's like, for example, lacrosse, you know, then they make different rules for women and same with tennis. Um, So I think that's just like another interesting factor to to bring along uh with that so like you're saying about swimming yeah jules and emery so i'm really interested in hearing um from from emery's perspective on this um i i'm clearly influenced by these like 1970s feminist scholars when it comes to ideas about sports and here here's another theory that's that's out there there's a an american feminist named jan felshen who has an idea called the feminine apologetic. And this goes back to that idea that society always just assumed that sports were for men, that that, that sports were things that men did. And she says that because of this, and she's not blaming the female athletes when she says this, she's really blaming society. She says, because there's this idea out there, and and this idea really did exist in the 70s, that, that, oh, women who did sports, they're half men. Women who did sports, they must be lesbians. You know, sexuality was being questioned. Their their, their very sexual identity was, was being questioned. And so she points out that what a lot of female athletes did in response to these pressures is apologize in a way for participating in sports by doing things like wearing makeup while participating in sports, putting ribbons in their hair. The idea being we're athletes, but don't worry, we're still female, feminine in these traditional sort of ways. And once you start looking for it, I feel like you start to see it in a lot of places in, in women's sports. And so I'm wondering, I guess, Emery, the extent to which maybe the, your coaches encouraged you or still encourage you to wear makeup. And look, there, there's nothing about lipstick and eyeliner that makes you a better gymnast, anyone a better gymnast. But does that stuff go on in, in the world of gymnastics? Oh, yeah, definitely. So my freshman year we had like uh, a Thanksgiving inner squad. So it's kind of like a fake meet just in our practice gym. And I'm not really like a makeup person. Like if I have to put makeup on, like I will. But I remember I didn't put any makeup on and my teammates were like, oh, like, um, like our coach is going to like say something to you about not wearing makeup. Like they were like kind of like trying to get on me. And I was like, I was like, first off, this is not real. Like, this is a fake, like, me. And I was like, if also, I was like, if I don't have to wear makeup, like, I'm not going to. But yeah, so we 
are told that we should wear makeup for competitions. We have like bows that go in our hair. Like our hair should be like neat. It should be like braided back, like gelled, all of this. Our like tattoos or anything need to be covered. We definitely, there's a lot of like, we want you to look like as pretty as possible. See, that's so crazy to me. Like I couldn't imagine that extra pressure. When when they say makeup, they mean, like, full-blown, like, full face of makeup, like, the whole thing. It's not, like, a five-minute, let's throw on some mascara. It's, like, the whole, whole deal. I have an, a really kind of shift from where we were, but I think it's a really important to t- uh, thing to talk about when we're talking about sports and specifically gymnastics. Um, and we've seen it particularly with two female athletes or gymnasts in the past couple of years Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles. I kind of want to dive into the intersectionality of race and gender. Um, There's a lot of history there. If uh, Dr. Andrews wants to kind of start us off with some of the history and some of the things we've seen. Um, I know we talked about Gabby Douglas last semester and now we see, I mean, the athlete I look up to and see a lot of horrible social media or even media um, things about is Simone Biles. Um, yeah, there was this, it, it was really, from my point of view, let me first say this, as a white male, I'm a little uncomfortable talking about like a black woman's hair, right? But this became a big deal in London 2012 as Gabby Douglas, she was the star of the US team. And I guess Twitter had kind of just started more or less at that point. And Twitter just exploded with comments about her her hair, how people thought that her hair was unkempt. And really, much of it was coming from African-American women who were criticizing Gabby Douglas for the presentation of her, her hair. Um, this speaks to this larger issue which you brought up, you know, what's the context in which we, we, we should think about, you know, black female athletes, if there's a group of, of, of athletes who were, have been discriminated against again and again in American sports, it's, it's black female athletes, you know, di- discriminated against because they're female, I think kind of first and foremost, the gender divide seems stricter in sports than the racial divide, but then discriminated against also within uh, white America and black America, um, um, sorry, um, and then discriminated against in white America because they're African American. Americans, most Americans just didn't pay attention to black female athletes really until the 1960s when black women like Wilma Rudolph were were winning medals for the United States in the Olympics. Americans started caring about women of color when it came to sports, when they were helping them win the medal count against the the Soviet Union. Um, But black women in sports and outside of sports have been subject to just the intense scrutiny uh, of their appearance and their bodies, again, we don't just see this in, in sports. I think of Serena Williams, you know, when, when Serena Williams burst onto the scene and Serena Williams is arguably the greatest female tennis player of all time. There's only one other person you could really point to. Um, there was so much 
um, conversation about her muscles, you know, her arms, like people talked about Michelle Obama's arms too, you know, about the size of her thighs, about the way she wore her hair, about how loudly she 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 grunted when she she played tennis. So she was not even close to the first female tennis player to to do that. It just seems as if because of sexism and racism in the United States that female athletes of color are, have just been placed under this microscope that no other athletes have to be be placed under and Gabby Douglas found herself under that microscope in London in 2012 uh Emery, she won the all around right she I, I believe yeah in, in 2012 yeah in 2012 and then Simone Biles came along and just sort of out Gabby Douglas Gabby Douglas um I'm a little less knowledgeable about what people say about Simone Biles but that's all anyone wanted to talk about with G- Gabby Douglas it was her hair. I just found it perplexing and astounding, but not out of, you know, out of context based on the way people have talked about black female athletes for the past half century. Yeah. So I think what I've seen regarding Simone Biles has been um, how muscular she is and how built she is. I've seen like a lot of really negative unfortunately articles written about her like it'd be different if it was social media stuff you know that's bad enough but having an actual article come out and say horrible things and just kind of um almost what's what's the word I'm looking for like take away from her accomplishments or try to take away from her accomplishments and um just going back to these like beauty standards and um I think something I wanted to ask your opinion on Emery was what is it like being a person of color? I know people's experiences are different, um, especially regarding like their race, but in the United States, in the past, the teams have been predominantly white and the sport has been predominantly white. What have been your experiences being an athlete of color? Um, Yeah, well, Simone Biles is the best gymnast in the history and honestly in the world. But yeah, this gymnastics is definitely a very, very white sport. I think something that is actually being advocated for right now is HBCUs um, starting gymnastics teams. I think that would be very beneficial to the gymnastics community. Um, But my experience, it... Like I said, I'm a really kind of hard-headed person. So, like, my coaches and club, like, sometimes they would say make racist comments. Like, there if there was a group of, like, Asian girls, they'd be like, oh, like, the it's the Oriental Express. Or, like, in the summer, I would walk in the gym. I would be, like, I get really tan in the summer. And my coach would be like, oh, like, who are you, Aunt Jemima? Like, there were comments like that made, and it, it's it's definitely, it's something that needs to be fixed, I think, within just society in general. But I think when you're young, and, like, your dreams may be college gymnastics or the Olympics, um, you're very impressionable, and you want to, I guess, like, almost just follow the directions of what your coaches or what people like in charge have to say because they're really um there is what they are the people like standing between you and 
like your goals so it's kind of like oh just well I always send stuff back but that's just me but a lot of people they're like oh just don't say anything like keep my head down whatever and like keep keep like grinding and like eventually I'll get like to a different place but I think a lot of my old teammates who don't do gymnastics anymore they they are still very scarred from like the things that were said to them like as a club gymnast and I think I mean I, honestly it's whack like if if I had any other way it's it's very messed up and I think um I think black women have it a lot harder than anybody else any other people not even just in gymnastics I think in society black women have it they are the most disrespected people in America like it's ridiculous so one of the things also in gymnastics is like our like our like whatever bra we have to wear or our like underwear they have to match our skin tone so for a long time they're they made like like the brand like GK like they would make like nudish like like the crate the Crayola skin color like briefs and so black women they wouldn't really because they couldn't wear and, and it was also saying they would like tape like we tape our ankles and stuff and so they don't really have like black tape that is like skin color like black tape so it was like that's something in gymnastics that I think has gotten better but like still needs to improve I think too like being an athlete sometimes your sport is supposed to be like almost like your safe space or like the place that after really rough day it's kind of nice to just like go with your teammates and I really couldn't imagine like going to practice and having to face that added stress of like dealing with a racial remark or a microaggression or something like that like people having these really negative experiences really breaks my heart I think it's interesting interesting that we're having this conversation about how um athletic gear can um more ably you know, be, be, be integrated. And I guess I'm kind of using that purposefully into different types of bodies, you know, different skin colors and, and, and body types, because, you know, Jules, as you know, when I talk about the, the women's athletic revolution in, in, um, the sports in American history course, we talk about how there was no such thing as women's athletic gear 40 years ago. There was no such thing as a sports bra. Um, you know, the, 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 the first sports bra was actually, designed by a by a woman who a, a a marathoner who got tired of bouncing breasts while she ran so she got two jock straps and she cut them up and she sewed them together you know jock straps for men and she started wearing that and this if if female athletes wanted to wear um, something comfortable while participating in sports, you know, they would go to a sporting goods store and there was no women's section. They had to go to the boys section. And as Emery's talking about tape and, you know, sports bras for, for different types of body types, I'm hoping that the market will will catch on or that society in some way, shape or form will will catch on. And these types of things will become available to to female athletes. Yeah, I hope so too. But kind of moving into the last question I have for you all and feel free to ask any more. I wanted to know, Emery, I know there's been a lot of really awful things that have been brought to the light, um, especially with the Larry Nasser case and everything. Have you seen any 
impact positive impacts like changes in the gymnastics community since these issues have been addressed or is it pretty much just the same i think well one thing that i think people should watch it's a documentary on netflix it's called it's called athlete a and that talks a lot about it i think that's something everyone should watch but i've done a lot of prod like projects and like reports on like larry nasser and like the whole scandal and i think in some ways, things have gotten better, like in the gymnastics community. And then I think in other ways, people have just figured out a way to get around certain things. The whole USAG board, they were fired, like uh, the Corollis were fired, um, and a bunch of people were like sued, I think. And then the second I want to say like the second group of people who were brought onto the board, I don't necessarily know how like many new rules or like positive changes they implemented, but I know like one thing is like like every coach has to do like a a safe sport like class or like lesson. Overall, I think it just brought light to a situation and a sport that like not many people like talked about or knew about so when people were like the like because Larry Nassar he sexually assaulted like over like I want to say over like 500 like women so I think that also just shows how much people don't or didn't care as long as we kept winning well I think the Larry Nassar story is it was kind of a perfect storm of a lot of different trends that we've been talking about. I mean, one, it's a, it's a, it's a story, you know, in in sports, the coach is sort of always right, you know, and regardless whether it's crew, whether it's gymnastics, football, basketball, you know, sports are sort of based on this military-like hierarchy where the coach is the is the sergeant and they are in charge. And yet, it, it it was only in the last couple of decades that athletes actually started questioning their their coaches. Um, and and then it speaks to this trend that we've been talking about, you know, about in gymnastics and in in, in figure skating. We're talking about young women we're talking about girls in 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 many instances and they're 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 vulnerable and i find gymnastics so interesting that i really well i guess maybe college football we 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 celebrate coaches in the same way but coaches are really lionized and celebrated at the top level of gymnastics, the Corollis, for example. And, and you know, I, I think of that famous moment in uh, women's gymnastics in Atlanta in 1996 when, when Carrie Strug has the badly sprained, maybe even broken ankle, I can't even remember what it is. And she does this heroic vault uh, and she wins the gold for the United States. But the, the image that went around the world was of Bella Caroli holding her in his arms, almost like she was a a little baby, um, just kind of really inserting himself into the story and just, just kind of plays on this line that these, these, these young female athletes would be nowhere if it wasn't for these male coaches, which I just have to think is a bunch of 
BS. Yes, coaches matter, but it's the athletes that 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 bring themselves to that level uh, much more than it's the coaches who 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 bring them there. Yeah, I think it's funny that you say or that you brought up how um, um, like Carrie Strug doing that vault was like seen as very heroic because something that's brought up in the documentary and that a lot of like I guess the way like gymnasts think the people were like oh like she can do it like yada yada but in like our eyes it's not it's not like she had a choice right like she like she was gonna like do the vault whether her foot was broken or not we we like to think that sports are always good for us that we par- participate in sports because it makes us healthier but there are a lot of sports, you know, whether it's purposely losing weight in gymnastics or boxing. I mean, there are a lot of sports in which people do things that aren't necessarily in their uh, in line with their physical well-being. And yeah, I don't know the dynamics of that story. Something tells me she was going to do it no matter what, just because it was the the Olympic Games. But I think you're right. It seems to me that she didn't really have a choice in that per particular moment. That's just wild to me. And also the documentary, I did watch that. And for anyone listening, um, it's on Netflix. It's really interesting. It's definitely a good afternoon or evening watch. Like it'll take you an hour and a half, two hours. So highly recommend that. Um, And I just wanted to open up the floor before we closed out and see if you guys have any questions for each other or just in general. Whether it's Simone Biles or Dr. Jill Biden, we're confronting an American culture too often that seems uneasy with accomplished, powerful, strong women, you know? And so this, I don't even know this guy's name, writing in the Wall Street Journal suggesting that she lose the name doctor because it will be less intimidating. Or people writing about Simone Biles. And yes, she is a very muscular woman, good for her. Um, The fact that people are somehow intimidated by her muscles. I think it, we don't see people making these arguments and demanding these concessions from men in American society, from, from male athletes. And so I think that point just once again speaks to this larger culture. And it goes back to what I was saying at the start of the 20th century. People were very uneasy with female athletes because of the presentation of power that they put out there uh, that American society just wasn't used to. And it's changing, certainly. But with Biles and Biden, uh, we see some of the same old um, problems rearing, rearing their head. I think just to add on to that, I feel like women in general, like sports, whatever it may be, I feel like women have to work twice as hard to just be considered but then they are, when they are considered, they are critiqued for so many things. And it like kind of looks past their accomplishments. Well, I don't think I could have said it any better than the two of you. So thank you both so much. And a special thank you um, for taking the time out of your schedule. And also, Dr. Andrews, you're the first male on this podcast. So thank you uh, for being brave and for coming on and Yeah, I appreciate it. And it was so nice to have both of you on. So thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of Benched. A special thanks to both of our guests today, Dr. Matt Andrews and gymnast Emery Summy. 
Want to share your story? Whether you prefer to share on a podcast, in a video, on a panel, or in a written blog, we cannot wait to hear from you. Just go to uncutchapelhill.com, that is uncutchapelhill.com, click get involved, and then share your story. Amplifying your voice has never been so easy.